This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Agent, you are joining a clandestine meeting in progress. You will now be read into sensitive programs in real time. Do not communicate this information with any other assets in the field. This is Spy Time. John Schindler, National Security Columnist for the New York Observer, joins us now. He is at 20 Committee on Twitter, and his latest piece is It's Almost Too Late to Get Serious About Jihadism. John, great to have you as always. Great to be here as always, Buck. So uh, your reactions to the latest on Ohio State's campus are what, sir? Well, I just think, how really, how many of these incidents have to happen before we can start getting serious about the nature of this threat? We've been very very lucky. That sounds like a weird thing to say when 11 people get stabbed or run over with a car. But yet again, no one died. Our self-starting jihadists in the United States are nowhere near as competent as they are in Europe, where they can kill dozens of people at a time. Uh, I just don't want us to get to the point where, through a sort of Darwinian process, our homegrown jihadists get as competent at killing as they are in Europe. We need to address this before we get to that point. Now, before we get into the addressing it, by the way, I just want to say it seems as though the sort of social justice left and including people that really jump to conclusions quickly, like Tim Kaine, jumping to conclusions on gun violence, totally OK. On the perpetrator, not OK. Tim Kaine thought this was a school shooting. Uh, you know, the would be vice president of the United States had the Democrats won uh, social justice wars all over the Internet are openly or are willing to openly express their disappointment that this isn't a guy running around yelling, make America great again, stabbing people. I mean, they really care more about the narrative than they do about trying to keep everybody safe across the board. And, and that's what makes me not very optimistic, I've got to be honest with you. When Tim Kaine, who you know could have easily become our next vice president, uh, is you know, hitting the usual gun, gun, gun mantra, and the social justice warrior left, which, let's make no mistake, has deep deep roots into, the, into today's Democratic Party, um, is out there openly gnashing their teeth that this wasn't the sort of redneck white guy inspired by Trump's hate terrorists. They had so hoped it was, and they were openly stating this on social media. This is a shocking place we're in where you're sort of rooting for the perpetrator of what looked like a mass killing event. Fortunately, it was just a mass wounding event. Uh, you're, you're sort of rooting for that person to be of a certain ethnicity or religion. That's really pretty sick stuff. Let's, let's get that out there. The, the, that does not make me optimistic we're going to have any serious discussion about this, although who knows, President Trump may force us to have that discussion. 
What do you think a serious discussion about this sounds like, John? If you were the one that was sitting down with with President Trump, given that it's isn't it's kind of funny every time I say it, President Trump. Yeah, I, I know. I'm I'm still adjusting too. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm getting I'm getting used to this or trying to get used to this. But if you sat down with with our our president elect soon to be president and got to discuss this issue with him, I mean, look, I, I think he has. His instincts on this are actually better than Hillary Clinton's. I think this is the one place on national security where, despite a lack of knowledge, he has he does have better judgment. I mean, Hillary Clinton, because she has to placate the social justice left, was saying, although she did start to say radical Islamic terror because she knew that the country, the country actually doesn't want to hear about how this has nothing to do with Islam. You know, Obama may get away with saying stuff like that, but Hillary knew that she couldn't. And I, I think that Trump has the right instincts, but if he needs the right policies or the right uh, to take the right, the right actions in the Oval Office, what do those look like? Well, I, as you said, Trump is at least starting down the right road here, and he, like so many of his thoughts, it needs refinement, it needs definition of what policy would look like. And let me say, you've got folks in his national security inner circle, for instance, Mike Flynn, who's basically calling for a war in Islam, and that's not helpful either. But calling the enemy what he is, these are jihadists, these are radical Islamists, people who want to use violence to you know, lead to an Islamic takeover of society as a political project. We need to call that what it is. Um, now, we also need to define that a little bit, which is, you know, why are we importing people from places like Somalia? So let me make clear, Somalia is probably the most backward, retrograde, poorest parts, part of the Muslim world. It's also one of the most jihad, you know, infected parts. I, I also, can I just add in, John, real quick, uh, that a, yeah. friend, a, a friend of mine who had worked with the United Nations and had been, name a horrible country, and he had been, I mean, everything. He had been, he had been to Haiti. He had been to North Korea. He had right. been to Somalia. He had been all over West Africa. Name the poorest country in the world. He said that for him, nothing compared to Somalia in terms of, of just right. desperation and violence. That's right. And look, the Muslim world, this is one and a half billion people. It's a huge part of the planet. Everything is not the same. There are lots of parts of the Muslim world where extremism is kept in check by the government, and it's not a big problem. And if you brought 100 people in as immigrants or refugees in the United States from those countries, maybe one at most would be a problem. If you're bringing in Somalis, the percentage that's going to be a problem is not 1%, frankly. As we see this, wherever there are Somali communities, we've had hundreds of Somalis go back from the United States and Canada to go back to the motherland to wage jihad there in recent years. Uh, so, I mean, this, do we want to bring in people from, frankly, the worst parts of the Muslim world, where extremism has deep roots and, and they are violence-prone and their societies are train wrecks? Are those people we want to bring in or not? And that's really the question we have to ask. Let's, let's take Muslim or not Muslim off the table because it's much more complicated than that. And let's talk about parts of the Muslim world that are mired in violence and dysfunction and jihadism and really ask ourselves, is it wise to bring them into our country? As I tell everyone who listens, America has plenty of homegrown crazies born here, natives-born citizens. Do we really need to import more crazies, Muslim or not? And And that's the question we really need to have. I think that also it became clear over the course of the campaign that even saying you you weren't even allowed to have the open discussion and and John I mean you've been very clear and very open about your feelings about Trump and his foreign policy knowledge or, or rather lack thereof but the other side of this has always been or or the other side when you when you add sort of Clinton and the Democrats I know Clinton doesn't matter as much now but that Democrat mindset is that there was this pre just like they they will say things like well there's no such thing as voter fraud. And they'll say this, right. and then you'll point out, no, actually, of course, people go to jail for it. Then that's just a, a false statement. They'll also say um, there's ne- there's no problem with refugees and terrorism of, of any kind, and generally speaking, and that's also not true. 
So we should at least be able to have a discussion about, look, if we're going to bring in 10,000 refugees from Syria, let's say, and five of them are going to radicalize and try to kill as many Americans as possible. The Amer- do the American people get to discuss this? And, and quite honestly, do they get to have a vote on it? You know, is this something that we're That's allowed exactly to right. tell people about right. that we want them to do or not do? Or are we just supposed to sit in silence while our betters, the Nancy Pelosi's and the Obama's and such of the world make this decision for us? I have no problem if our elected representatives in Washington are willing to level with us and say, bringing in refugees and immigrants from certain yucky parts of the world is so important, we're fully aware, since we can't really vet them very well, we're fully aware some of them are going to be bad people who will start trying to kill Americans. But that's the cost of doing business the way we want to do it. Just level with the American public and tell them that and see what they think and ask them, is this okay with you? On that um, vetting, on that vetting point, by the way, John, because that got yeah. a lot of attention, too, and I feel like yeah. that's a, that's a, you know, even Trump at one point said there was extreme vetting, and I went on CNN and explained yeah. to everybody that extreme vetting is being on a first date in New York City, uh, which you know, <laughs> I, I thought that would catch on more than it, than it did. But anyway, Damn, uh, but he talked about extreme, yeah, thank you. He talked about extreme <laughs> vetting, and, and I didn't think that, uh, I, I, I didn't think that this would be something that people, or rather, it didn't seem to me that there was any way to explain what that would be because they're already, you know, the refugees show up. They say we don't have any documents. They say we can't prove right. where we're from. They say, so what do you do? I mean, they're not in biometric databases somewhere. They don't have databases. They don't have electricity in some of the places they're coming from. I mean, so what, how are we supposed to vet? What no one wants to hear. What no one wants to hear is the painful truth that you've hit on here, which is particularly people coming from really yucky parts of the world like Somalia it is functionally impossible to vet them in any meaningful sense because there aren't criminal records where they come from. He said there's no biometrics. These people are who they say they are. If it's a real passport, who knows? There are a lot of good fakes, and some countries specialize in having lots of fake passports from them. We really can't know. Again, talking about people coming from really messed up parts of the world, we can't really know who they are, much less what their background is. All we know is they're here, and they're either in or they're not. To be fair to the U.S. government, they already make a lot of attempts to vet immigrants and refugees. It's not the fault of the bureaucracy here. They know what their job is. The problem is it's almost impossible to do that job. And until we get into some big brother, you know, worldwide biometric database of everyone, which I hope never happens, we're not going to be able to. So the question then reverts back to how much of a chance are we willing to take? That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, and we should be able to have an open discussion about it. And I think that that the left uh, does a disservice, well, certainly to the country, but, but even really undermines its credibility when they pretend that there's no that there's no risk from refugees when it's not even just refugees it's refugees and also the first generation that follows the refugee that sometimes feels alienated feels like there's you know no future for them in this country because uh, it's it's a it's a difficult thing to show up here with your parents having been through war lost all their property and have no actual ideological or emotional connection necessarily to America other than this place isn't going to you know I'm not going to be killed if I'm in this place well that's clearly better but that alone does not make for a good citizen. There are refugees who become phenomenal citizens. I mean, we've, we've just been dealing with uh, the right. realities of perhaps a new Cuba because of Castro's death. You look at all the patriotic Cubans that love this country more than a lot of Americans I know who were born in New York City love this country. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's a case by case. It's individual by individual and it's country by country. And looking at it as a country by country issue to me doesn't seem to be an unfair way to take it. But we're no, told that that's xenophobia. We're told that xenophobia, Islamophobia, something, whatever. I said my preference would be let's take the Muslim thing out of it. You know, whether you're from a majority Muslim country or not is not the issue. It's what is the condition of that country, what is the extent of extremism in that country. Heck, we're getting to a point 
where there are Western European countries where the percentage of Muslims who have crazy views is far higher than in many actual Muslim countries. So it's not just, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean you know, if you, if you go to downtown Brussels, the percentage of Muslims there who have ex- extreme pro-jihad views is much higher than in a lot of Muslim cities I've been to and you've probably been to. So in majority Muslim countries. So it, it's not simple, but it's, what it really needs to boil down to is what is the condition of the country this person is from? What is the extremist situation like there? And what is our ability to vet this person? And if, if it's a country like Somalia that has no governance, functionally speaking, it's impossible to vet refugees, immigrants from there. Oh, and by the way, um, there are a lot of jihadists coming back and forth from there. Maybe we need to level with the American public and say, this is just a risk we're going to have to run if you want to run that. One more but for you, John. Uh, a slightly different topic, but similar area. Yeah. The possible penetration of Germany's BFV, which everyone listening is kind of like yeah. their version of the FBI, it's their domestic intelligence service uh, and security service, right. by an Islamist. And they, this looks like it was a plot to bomb BFV yeah. headquarters. This is pretty intense yeah, this stuff. This is really shocking stuff. This is really shocking stuff. The BFV, which is Germany's domestic intelligence agency, has focused very heavily on the Islamist threat inside Germany, which, of course, has been much exacerbated by recent flows of refugees. The BFV's estimate is there are just shy of 10,000 Salafists that is radical uh, you know, Islamist activists in the country, and one of them employees turns out to have been one of them. A uh, 51-year-old guy who was hired to monitor uh, the, the Islamist problem in the country and monitored it so well, he joined it. Uh, and as you said, he was apparently part of a plot to blow up BSV headquarters. I mean, this is really shocking stuff. Moles happen, but, you know, foreign intelligence services usually don't try and blow up your intel headquarters. Um, Islamists do. And this has shocked Germans quite badly, I think, uh, coming on, on the heels of, of a lot of these incidents of Germans waking up and realizing how many bad guys there are in their country. And one of them turns out to be in the belly of your domestic intelligence service. If I were German right now, I wouldn't be feeling very good about this. I have good friends in the BFE. I assure you they're not feeling very good about this. And the German public has to realize if the BFE can't even clean out its own ranks, you know, what are the odds of them assessing which refugees are good or bad? Basically, right. If they can't vet somebody um, for a highly sensitive right. government job, uh, vetting somebody right. who's showing up and saying, I've had a rough life, please save me, is even harder. It's impossible. And so this, this is a wake-up call of sorts. And let me tell you, this is going to happen to other Western intelligence agencies. And in fact, I suspect it already has. We just don't know it yet. They've been kept, stories have not been discovered, they've been kept, they've been kept quiet. I know of a couple of cases in the U.S. intelligence community in recent years where there were – it wasn't quite this bad. People trying you know, to blow up their own building. But individuals who turned out to have some very odd ties were working in the intelligence community and were let go, which didn't make it in the media. So we shouldn't be, be feeling too good about ourselves. The, this, this German problem is actually a West, Western worldwide problem, uh, and we need to start getting serious about it. John Schindler is the national security columnist for The Observer. You can read his latest at Observer.com. Also follow him at 20 Committee on Twitter. John, great to have you, buddy. Talk soon. A pleasure as always. The Buck Sexton Show. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. 
If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.